You're listening to Two Beers Until Phrenesis, a podcast where we discuss the ideas of philosophy, ethics, religion, history, and culture. Alongside regular guests and friends, we discuss some of life's big questions over a few beers. Enjoy. I don't know how these work, honestly. I've been so curious. What would you you want to kick off with? I don't really know where to start, to be honest. You mean you know? Right. But... (laughs) I think I think probably what we could do is just start by sort of going around and sharing. Oh. Just just sort of like I want to get an impression of everyone's sort of experiences right. with this is an intervention. Yeah, it is. We're in the wrong place. <laughs> find out. We'll find out later. I think all of us have like slightly different relationships with music because um some of us like do it professionally, some of us do it just as a hobby or whatever. Jack, you're just here for the I beer. I just listen to everything. <laughs> I drink a lot while I'm listening to it. <laughs> So yeah, I, I think that's that's a good place to start. So you don't play any music? No. No. I played one instrument at school and then I've um, forgotten it completely. Is that uh, the clarinet? Yeah. Yeah. And wow. that's about it really. Nice. <laughs> In terms of what I play, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Did you feel anything when you played the clarinet? Uh, my lip always hurt after. Physical part of yeah. like, mentally, <laughs> your soul, Jack. Oh, in my soul, <laughs> not a lot because I only, they'd only ever tell me what I should be playing. Yeah, and I couldn't. You can like when you're when you're learning, obviously from like nothing. They they start you off on what you have to know as a necessity. Yeah, yeah. To get a grade, um, so you sure you were playing it right? If if it hurt, probably not. No. Where were you putting it? Well, the. <laughs> The wood on the end because it vibrates. He just did, oh. but it just, just does my head in. Like, I didn't like it, so that's why I didn't. I didn't continue it. So, I never went to the whole reed instrument thing. I could never understand. I tried blowing it on a few times just because you know curiosity. Mm. So, in that context, that could be really. <laughs> tried blowing a few times. Yeah? <laughs> There's the whole movement. The trumpet was quite fun for me. Yeah, I used that back in primary school. What what instrument did you start on? It would have been the trumpet, the first one I ever ever tried. Yeah, I was in year four to six. We had a little brass band in primary school didn't go very far um and then from there i think i had a kind of phase through high school where i started to do music realized all the uncool kids were in music so i stopped doing it went to geography but in that kind of half a year stint i played the guitar and i didn't like it at all but then at college or maybe just before college my dad hooked me up in these lessons mm. um with a guy called trevor lovely old bloke <laughs> he used to come around my house every wednesday for like an hour or so and um, we used to do all the basics we did all the chords and they got to the stage where I wanted to start to learn the songs I wanted to play and that's when it got a bit tricky for him because I think the first song I said to him was Linkin Park Bleed It Out <laughs> so then he came back the next week with I don't know <laughs> he came with a tab wasn't even there with a tab it was just chords he started playing a country version of it mm. thinking that oh he tried to transpose it into something else he went mm. I bleed it out big and deep and I was like this guy doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> he's got like a level of like learning the basics. And after that, I think, yeah, kind of become your own thing. So after a while, I don't know why he just stopped turning up and no, one... <laughs> I never knew anything else. He caught the gist that people went onto it. People went, people <laughs> it was out lesson, I think. That's what he said. <laughs> like, this kid's got it all wrong. Um, so after that, I just took it upon myself to get me own. Well, my dad bought me an electric guitar for like a like 70 quid. Really trans, like really bittery blue. Mm. That's fabulous. Um, started learning my own method of learning so kind of did a lot of tablature a lot of power chords and then I just got to the basics of that learned all my favourite songs like Disturbed Linkin Park like Nickelback back in the day learned all those songs and then kind of just learned from there I've just kind of been learning from tabs all, ever since I've never had proper lessons and unless you call those lessons at the start proper lessons but I've never actually been taught properly like, yeah like self-taught no grading mm. 
Did you always want to go and study it at uni though? No, not at all. Um, you sort of fell into it. Yeah, so I went after high school. Me and my friends wanted to go and do games design. So I went to IT uh, in Stafford College and we were kind of under the impression that the course gave was, oh, you'll be learning all this. We'll teach you how to do it. Or dream, dream, that's the internet one. Yeah. There's another kind it's of flash creator or something <laughs> that you could use. Yeah. And we were like, oh, it's going to be sick. But then we ended up doing Excel stuff. Mm. And we're going, this isn't what we came here to do. I've got to do, how to play, do games and stuff. But um, there's only one lesson within a month we did that. So about half of the year, well, after the first year, we're like, you know what, scrap this. Me and Adam, my friend back home, he played bass. Um, he came onto mine. We did a few YouTube videos in my bedroom together back in the day. Um, so mm. we thought, oh, there's a music course here. Let's go and do that. So me and him jumped ship into that. Mm. And that from then, that's when I kind of went to go to university with it. Because I did two years of college, BTEC. I came out of distinctions and it was really fun the whole process I learned how to record then I was, I'd been in the band for the first time like everyone being on the same boat it was absolutely incredible mm. so then after that I thought the easiest way to do it is probably carry on with that in terms of education and uh, I went to university I think I've gone a bit too far ahead I've been talking about <laughs> your first experience <laughs> I'll stop uh, out of topic it's just to dwarf how much experience I have so don't worry that's why I got you start with the car no, that's much better <laughs> that's why I got you out of the way first <laughs> Um, all right, yeah, 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 nice. So you're a, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna big you up now. You're a, um, Swiss army man, a Swiss army man, a multi-instrumentalist. Thank you. It's like Daniel Radcliffe in that film where he plays a corpse like that. Sort of yeah. You're, you're that? The Swiss, yeah. Swiss army man. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's got Daniel Radcliffe playing a corpse in it. It's great. You're a Swiss army man of instruments. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You... Very awkward, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're, you're not just a songwriter, but you're a, um, a music producer as well so you you've got yeah. arguably like more professional context for music than the rest of us um I managed to get paid for some things luckily so. yeah <laughs> that's a dream yeah not not anymore though i'm from going into programming now so <laughs> goodbye music but um <laughs> yeah covid kind of it's a hard living to make isn't it yeah i live in era. yeah <laughs> I, I don't think i've actually ever asked you before but when did you start when did you come into music very young yeah um because my dad um had like pianos and drums and things around mm. in the house when I was growing up. So um, I think from what my parents say, it was pretty much as soon as I could reach the piano, I started all like playing around with the keys and things. Mm. Um, and I think when I was five or six, I started getting piano lessons um, and I hated them. And I, but I also hated school. So I just kind of like would go off and play piano and things in breaks and lunchtimes and whatever. The people you were referring to is like when you looked into those practice rooms and saw those weirdos. They were like, that was me. I knew I needed some. You're the one behind the glass, hunched over a piano, going. Yeah, pretty much. So like, that's yeah, and that's pretty much. And I just just any instrument I could pick up, I would just like like to play. Um, started guitar when I was about fifteen or something because I just used to play the school guitars. And then my dad was like, oh, "I need to buy you a guitar because I my I think my sister got a guitar, like a little nylon thing." She was like practicing a little bit and not, but not really that serious about it. And I would sort of like, you know, sneak the guitar now and again. I was just like playing it and mm. practicing it and whatever. And he was like, oh, I've got to get you a guitar now. Cause you, you know. Uh, well, I, re I remember when we were in a band so. together. Um, I think it was my first band and, and you couldn't play the guitar at the time. And then every week or so I'd like look at you and you'd, you'd be like, you know, tr trying to figure out where the normal chords were and everything. And then the next week you'd be like fucking shredding it. <laughs> just, <laughs> somehow just. Yeah. yeah, I think I think we had a healthy like around that sort of time as well. And I think one thing that uh, really pushed me uh, for all the instruments was I always had friends who were really good at um, respective instruments. Like we had, you know, Kieran and people like that. Um, like, and that really motivated me to get better because I'd be like, oh my god, that guy's 
dick. I mm. wonder about how I can do that, or like I wonder how I can do a little bit more like that, or how does he do that, and sort of thing. And yeah, definitely. Um, same thing with drums and all that sort of thing. And like, um, still, my only graded instrument is drums. So I did a grade eight on uh, drums when I was, um, I think, seventeen. Um, mm. Around the time right before uni, and then went off to uni, just didn't play at all. It's just all gone now. Well, not all gone, but it's just like you. My timing is. I'm just so sloppy now, which is a real shame. Um, it's called jazz. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'll be fine. No, I, I definitely think uh, that's that has a large element of truth in it in terms of like what motivates you to sort of be better. It's basically, yeah, yeah. Be, being around you, doing your drum grades and stuff. That I think that motivated me to be a lot better. Yeah, like, we, we were all like pushing each other, I think. So there was mm. like three or four of us that were all quite serious about drums. We all love drums. So we all just like, we would like come in the next day, like, look at this cool thing I feel. And we'd be like, feed yeah, off each other. I've got to do, come, <laughs> can do something better. You know, mm. think, and then we'd all be like, go away and practice it and try to think of Just a big Who's yeah. Digger competition. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. So, um, you know, and remember, I just remember like coming in and doing things like uh, like freehand where you do like a one handed roll, a uh, drum roll where you like use the rim and the phone, you're like, like that. Um, and like, you know, how the people do blast beats and whatever, just like, you know, just finding stupid gimmicks to be like, look at this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, yeah, that was, that was, it was good times, but um, no, I, th I think for me it was always the, the motivator was I always wanted to just write, write better music and play more. And I just always, like the thing that kept me on the instruments was not, oh, I really want to get good. I was always like, oh, I just need to be able to learn this so I can then play this part on this piece of music I want to make. Or like, I just want to be able to like, you know, just strum some basic chords on the guitar and then it gets to the next thing. Oh, I would like to do a basic solo and then I'd like to do, you know, and you get one thing and the next thing and, you know, you slowly get better mm. um, just through wanting to get that sound. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, that was always a big motivator for me. But yeah, I kind of, I mean, it's, it's weird because now I kind of regret going into music. <laughs> A bit. I mean, I still like really enjoy it and it's still a massive hobby, but um, it's kind of like it's it's not done me well as far as like vocationally. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's stressful. It's like the freelancing I've done was really hard and not, you know, and, and the money is very inconsistent. Um, mm -hmm. So it was just, you know, it, it was just tough. And I don't think I don't I think my personality is necessarily that suited to it, but it was just out of necessity for. Um, you know, I think a lot of people do the same thing where they just hate, they're just not enjoying school. They sort of start to rebel a bit. And I would yeah. always rebel by going to the music rooms and just like spend all my time just doing that sort of thing uh, rather than working. And now it's kind of weird because I'm coming back into STEM again. So I'm going back into uh, maths and programming and uh, all these sorts of things now um, and retraining. So it's, it's, yeah, it's been kind of as, yeah, sort of 360, but at least I can master your podcast and things now. So I've got that. Yeah, It's always yeah. the biggest concern I think with music because everyone said to me, like, it was a hobby. I said like it became like a everyday thing for me. I'll just do it for fun, and then started doing it at college, and then became a bit more of a chore because then there was like certain tasks for you to do. Like it was kind of forcing creativity for you to come up with like this song or with these lyrics, and then you'd hand it in the next day. And then after that university level as well, it just became absolutely crazy because then you stopped enjoying it to the extent you did before in terms of just to get the work done and get graded. And then yeah. I felt my spare time. I spent I didn't spend any time. Did you like, find that now when you were like? Did it just become a chore a bit? Um, a, a little bit less so. I mean, my degree was kind of weird because it was yeah. it was a music production degree, and I think it was too it was too like broad. So right. I don't think um, so. It's weird. Like my, stuff like my theory got way better after I went to uni. Weirdly enough, because it sort of <laughs> learned much more after necessity. Right. Yeah. Um, and things like that. But it was so it was kind of weird. But at, at uni, it was kind of like because we did loads of little bits of loads of different things. It didn't really like um, dissuade me from doing more music because like one minute we'd be like 
soldering circuit boards to make synthesizers and then the next oh, minute right, we're like okay. learning mixing on logic pro and how to like master more variety down. so it keeps yeah, you interested and then like the next minute it's like oh we need to like create uh, piano reharmonizations of this so it was like a weird mix of loads of different things and then we're like teaching javanese gamelan into a primary school like, just totally like random zero stuff. to 100 yeah and doing like a steel pans concert like all, all sorts of really strange variety mm. of stuff that probably looks good on the cv but it wasn't particularly specialist which i think was the problem mm. um and i think vast majority of the learning i did was probably in my spare time so i kind of i did kind of enjoy it and i got quite because it was a lot of spare time to just keep you know messing around making music mm. and all that sort of thing, which was good fun. But yeah, you come out the other end and like, oh God, what am I going to do now? <laughs> a music production degree, you know, like, oh dear. I, I think the large majority of like university courses are what you put into it in your spare time, to yeah. be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a fine line in the on the creative side between entertainment and art in terms of, you know, what you're sort of trying to get out of creating music. Similar to what we were just saying, like... I think there's a difference between doing something completely free out of your own creativity and then doing something for utility in order to you know, achieve a very specific uh, certain kind of thing. I, I don't know if you've ever, does it feel like very different if you're say like writing a soundtrack for, because I think you wrote soundtrack for films, didn't you? Yeah. So there were a couple of short films we did, um, which oh, I did Foley for a short film, which was really fun. That's fun. Um, super fun, yeah, because you just, like, it was, like, the thing where there was, like, little dragon creatures and all sorts of things, and I, like, got, like, giant cardboard tubes, and mm. would, like, a, oh, do, like, mate. sounds like that into these tubes, and, like, yeah. get all these strange sounds, and, and, like, you know, do the footfall sounds and things, and rustling, and all that sort of thing, and that was really fun. Um, so I, I think, mm. yeah, again, like, I didn't, I didn't find it too much of a problem, because it was, like, there was a lot of different stuff we did. I think there was definitely some creativity in, in the limitations you're set sometimes, so I think yeah. often having an excuse and, you know, I, I'm definitely that kind of person, especially at school, where I'd piss off the teachers because I would always, like, push the limit of what I would be allowed to actually, like, submit. So I'd just do something as left field as I possibly could just to take the piss. I mean, one, one oh, man, I've got to, like, I, th I think you might have heard some of it, but there was just, like, there was one lecturer where we had to do um, something in uh, something called Max for Live, which is, like, a music programmy kind of thing, sort of, like, a very, very, like, high-level object-oriented kind of um, interface for like making music stuff mm -hmm. um, and basically we had to do an assignment where we would make something like that and the lecturer himself was like really into all these like really edgy weird stuff and to be honest his art projects were just not good <laughs> like yeah you know, there's, there's some stuff like that which is really good but then the stuff he was doing was like you know when it's just looks like it's trying to be really clever but it just isn't um, and so like we, we would all, you know, slightly take the piss and then basically, and I, I can't believe I got a really good mark for this, but basically, and we had to go perform, like, you know, stick in the USB at the end and in front of the whole class. And sure, yeah. Um, and basically I did a thing where I, I fused the sound of bees with the sounds of the Bee Gees. So it's staying alive. And it's just like this horrible noise piece where it's really ominous. And there's just like, there's a text-to-speech voice just saying the lyrics to the Bee Gees staying alive. Turned like, into a horror soundtrack. Ha, 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 staying alive. And I shit you not, the lecturer was like, oh, this is really good. <laughs> like, yeah. completely unironically loving it. And it was just, it was literally me taking the most piss I possibly could out of the yeah. assignment. Um, so there was stuff like that where you just like, I don't even understand how I think the grading especially at university if some of the teachers yeah. if you can very subjective if you can find a niche that they're into mm. I did one way and you, I went on the pub you've got them around your finger if you find something that they're into oh yeah, yeah. 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 just reference them just we reference their own work. By the way. Uh, University of Hertfordshire. So ah, really we had a lecture very similar to yours where he would go off he would like take time off and usually get substitutes all the time because he was over 
in Northern Ireland in a remote village recording grandma's cry or something, so like sample. <laughs> yeah. um, but this guy um, set the challenge where you go and record uh, your own natural sounds or organic sounds. And once I went to the pub and I was walking around the pub just getting audio snippets of like the, the soda stream or like hitting a barrel with a mallet. And I came out and I just see the uh, audio visual piece. So I had to go around the pub, made it really trippy. But I just put in the bits like this barrel's going, getting really loud, 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 and just put that with a gun. People pouring drinks. And very similar to what you said, I handed it anyone. This guy from Birmingham's like, that's really, really weird, but I like it. You, you could tell that I, I got to him, but some, something I did just because like, he had that kind of idea about getting yeah. recorded like natural sounds, mm. putting it all together and making a massive stew yeah. of noises. <laughs> and to him, it was really appealing. And I, yeah. I, what I thought I did was absolutely rubbish. I was going on a pub, I had a beer at the time as well. I was going around going, mm. boink! Yeah. <laughs> and then getting it, editing it when I got home. And yeah, he loved it. We yeah. found that niche that he liked and it got me a good grade. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Because on the reverse side, I had a lecturer who was a very traditional kind of classical pianist guy and we had to write and, you know, uh, score out a, a piece of piano music. It was two-minute piano piece music that would get performed at the thing. No beats. So that. obviously, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I can't <laughs> get it. No. <laughs> <laughs> All these bees yeah. I've bought and I haven't got use of them anymore. <laughs> Yeah, sadly not. Um, but yeah, it was. It, it didn't go well for me because basically I was like, well, what's the most <laughs> stupid thing I get? And I basically wrote this like ragtime-ish kind of honky-tonk piano piece yeah. um, like to, to get him to do. Because I was just like, well, this is the silliest thing I can possibly do. And obviously it did not go down well because it was <laughs> like, you know, he was very much a, a classical and it, this was a very swung piece. It was very like, you know... Yeah. over the top <laughs> so it was just yeah things like that and you realise you know it didn't really matter that much how well written it was it was just like yeah you really need to uh, like write it then the what was the task format. though uh, it was basically to write a, a piano piece that was you know scored correctly and everything um, for the performer <laughs> obviously the key being for that particular performer oh, so he was okay. don't write a crazy piece that is not <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, it's like, write something that he, he would probably play so it was like yeah that was the fate. So, uh, you know I stretched it and tried to <laughs> did, yeah tried to take the piss as much as possible which is yeah it doesn't work see his limit then you went past it don't do if you're doing a music degree like look at your lecturer see what they like and then just like try yeah. to appeal know to your that. audience absolutely um, yeah I, I not honestly they the audience is the lecturer <laughs> yeah yeah well i was thinking about this in in relation to like writing philosophy pieces and because obviously there's this there's this whole like thing we've we've kind of semi-exposed um you know, jokingly a little bit but that you know you do have to write for your lecturer but i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because it's still writing for an audience at the end of the day it's still a skill and it's it's a i think it's an important life lesson but yeah it, just because it's not like necessarily objectively graded doesn't mean that you know no, it definitely works in the benefit sometimes especially if you know yeah. a lot about your lecturer like yeah. always been in their third year when you've known them for a couple of years then you've, you know exactly what to do for them it's kind of cheating in this way the method yeah but i think it's still i think it's still like a valuable practice i think it's still like good to be writing for yeah, a specific person yeah. Yeah. if you're in the world big wide world you are going to be writing for a specific person exactly mm. although i would say there's there's, there's a brilliant uh, talk i can't remember the guy's name he's at the university of boston He's like the guy who like uh, helps out with the writing of like PhDs and things like this, um, and it's, it's super interesting because there's a, there's whole generations of people now uh, that end up not understanding why people will not publish their stuff. This is particularly in the context of written work, so in scientific journals and mm -hmm. things like this. So someone will create a PhD and they'll be writing it for their PhD advisor or whoever they're writing it for, um, and because they've gone through school their whole life writing for the teacher, writing for the lecturer, and uh, writing in a very academic style. 
they then go into the real world and go, why will nobody publish my article? And and the issue is that there's so much like uh, the academia becomes this kind of bubble of um, a particular way in which, you know, things are marked for grading schemes, they're marked for like lecturers, but they're not marked for like people who actually want to read it. Just key points like engaging a reader like straight away by like presenting, uh, not only justifying your position in your article and, and trying to make a bold claim like, you know, this is the established paradigm, but I'm going to prove that X, Y, or Z is, you know, slightly different to whatever else. Mm. Um, and then try to make something engaging and readable and something that you would actually want to publish. And like that has a massive impact on what's going to get published in the real world. And it's amazing how many uh, people, unfortunately, because they're not practicing writing for real people, and the, you know, the key maxim here is that they don't understand the difference between novelty and value. Uh, which is like the the key uh, thing, and it's something I didn't really understand for what it's like. No, just being novel and being interesting and different doesn't mean that anyone has to care. It's like you know mm. an example that he gave was um, so there were PhD students who would do stuff like they they found like some really obscure person who travelled around the world and wrote loads of diaries or whatever in the back of the library, and like oh you know I could write about this and talk about like this, and he's like, well, did they do anything particularly interesting or remarkable other than just travel around? And it's like, well, no, but nobody's ever written about this, all this, like, it's like, but does it matter? How valuable is that to anyone else? It's, it's not. Yeah, that, that dichotomy is, is basically the crux of, of what's wrong with academia, hmm. you know, in a nutshell. It's like, there's this obsession with just creating, like, novel theses. And it's like, well, especially in, can you keep bringing it back to philosophy, but especially within philosophy, it's like, it, it should be much more valuable to be relevant because that's kind of the point of philosophy, or at least it was originally, and now it's just sort of becoming more and more obscure, and I think that's what's turning people off to it. Yeah, definitely. I think in the context of music degrees and creative degrees, like we did, and I mean, you were more humanities, and you sort of did game design, Jack, didn't you? So, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even in the context of creative degrees, it's like you, you see some of that, and I think going into the real world, it's like interesting how, and unfortunately, I think there are a lot of skills you can, you can learn that will be useful and practical. Um, but a lot of the ones that I did, like, again, too broad, too thin. Mm. Uh, I wasn't really equipped for, for doing a lot of stuff properly. Like, I wasn't quite good enough for orchestration and, like, writing out scores for orchestras that I couldn't yeah. really go into that. Or, like, I couldn't go into, like, you know, um, scoring stuff. I couldn't um, uh, I couldn't really go into, like, this, like building synthesizers or the engineering stuff because I just did a bit of soldering on some circuit yeah. boards. Like you say, was, your, your course is yeah. so vast that you wanted something specific to go into. Maybe you could go into a master's. But then exactly, even yeah. when you go in, finish that, you've got so much competition afterwards because it's, it's music and creative world is so huge. Yeah. And you it's don't know what you're going to do is going to be taken well or yeah. you've got no idea what you're going to come out the end with. There's always someone better as well. Like, no matter if you it's, it's a, that's a bad mindset to have with it because obviously, yeah, you, but obviously like you're, a, it is it's a horrible truth. Mm. There is going to be someone better than you. But then again, you could do a piece with one chord and a beautiful note and someone may find that fantastic. Yeah, And yeah, then absolutely. someone can make a piece and spend seven years on it. Yeah, making it all technical and have, but then find it horrible. Yeah, no, it's a great point. Because I think off. so many. I I know a lot of people. You see it in like YouTube comments and things under like people who are sick of guitar, where they just go, "I only give up. There's no point." So you say, like, but you're you're thinking about music as if it's like a, a sport, and it's not. Yeah. It's not at all. It's like you. Yeah, you, I know, that's the way for it. Yeah, and that's I think there's a lot of people. I see you get like very worried about like starting because they don't they don't want to be bad or they or they're like worried about the fact that there's going to be so many people better at it. Mm. But at the end of the day, nobody is going to have exactly the same experiences, stories that you want to tell, the like mm. forms of expression that you're going to have. Yeah, the vision. And at the end of the day, if you if yeah. you just do whatever you can do and create it, that's going to be Absolutely. something different. And hopefully interesting as well. And like the yeah, more yeah. you, you know, well, hone uh, that yeah. sound in, you know. I think that a lot of the, the more technical music isn't as popular as a lot of the, the you know, 
pop basically and i think there's a very good reason for that and i think i think it resonates with with people broader audience but also like you just look at things like bob dylan like bob dylan is not like an amazing technical player he's four chords and a great muscle yeah voice. exactly <laughs> that's all you need yeah like his his first album is literally just a bunch of like folk classics yeah. and yeah. and it's just some of the most simple songs you can play and yeah i i, I think um i think like when we began playing uh me and you know i think i definitely had a lot of that um sort of competitiveness and i think you just have to sort of with it basically within a few weeks i would sort of got over that initial like bitterness you see someone do something like really sick especially when you're when you're actually learning i think that's what puts a lot of people off i think a lot of people have like a um like a weird mystique over playing an instrument if they've never played yeah. one they sort of think oh well it's uh, it's it's too difficult, or it's almost like a, a strange fear of of mm. like approaching the instrument, and because it's it's a matter of degrees and, and and optimizing like you know okay so today I'm going to learn this chord, and you just you just keep going at it, and you know, you can't lose sight of the the, the mountain, but you you yeah you do have to take each step as it goes. Yeah, <laughs> being able to confront inadequacy and also be able to like cope with failure as well. Um, I think it's definitely, I think that's probably the most valuable thing I've learned from doing music um, mm. throughout my life is, is that comfort with like being a bit foolish and not being very good. Like, you know, I, I, I do a lot of singing now and I just wouldn't have imagined that I would ever have done any singing when I was like, you know, even 18, 19. Mm. Um, and I started out out of necessity and it was pretty bad and I, I still kept, but I still kept going and it was like, oh God, and I hate my sound of my voice. And it's like, now I can, I'm passable. So it's fine. <laughs> you can um, benchmarks for yourself. That's the thing so, as well when you're teaching yourself, I always find. You see, like a lot of people, like you said, there's always a mountain to climb. It's like a sport. Mm. People will teach themselves, and if they don't find they've reached a certain level by a certain time, then they will lose their, like, their drive for it. Yeah, and not necessarily people who are musically gifted, but some people will just pick up an instrument and be able to pick it up just from the notes they play. They can just tell, and they'll pick it up really fast. And some people try to do that and expect it to come naturally. Mm. But it, 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 to link there's some element of it doesn't to most people. Well, I speak as an outsider here, but like you, Con, both Connors. Yeah, <laughs> watch you two play when we were around yours once, and you're just going off from each other, and you're like going back and forth, and that to me is like very like because I don't play anything. That's very like overwhelming, and I'm like, well, the thing I, with that, like, yeah, as an outsider, it's as a perspective, it's like, well, I don't really want to pick up an instrument because yeah, you know, it can be intimidating. But I was that mm. person once. Yeah, like, yeah. we weren't Every, everyone like crazy. Like we weren't yeah. shredding. We weren't. Mm. I don't know. To go power sliding across mm. the floor, playing the guitar <laughs> yeah. behind our heads. Like we were just, being so proud. That I think we were just playing the guitar. Like, it was just nice. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> beating you up with the guitar. <laughs> but that thing was so bloody great. <laughs> yeah, we just picked. I mean, what we were doing was nothing technical. I mean. I'm not. I'm not that gifted at guitar. I mean, I, I know my chords. I know what sounds nice. But you say that. But to me, who plays nothing. I'm like, well, I think you fucking are. Same to you as well. I was telling you yesterday some of the shit I've heard from you. A guy who plays nothing. Like some of the, you hear some of the stuff that people have done, mm. and it's just like, well, there's no bloody point in me trying mm. to play. That is there. Yeah. Already, it's already there. Everything I want to listen to, but. I know that's the bad mindset to have. I understand. That's a, it's like you said, I can't, I can't shred. I can play like a really slow solo at most, um, but like it will probably sound decent. But then I thought at times that like, you watched a video of like Herman Lee of the Dragon Force guitarist, like shredding through the fire and flames <laughs> behind his back. And I'm going, what, what's the bloody point? <laughs> yeah. But then, like, but then I'm can. thinking, I'm thinking, that sounds good, but what I make, my own songs, I would prefer. 
Because that's what right, I like. Because you can come up with a lyric that isn't so far away. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, yeah, I'm through that find a unique <laughs> form of expression. So. <laughs> yeah. The glisten in your eye, I can swallow my mouth off. Yeah. To say. <laughs> well, it was coming. Uh, but yeah. yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I think that can be uh, extrapolated to pretty much everything. Like people's attitude towards um, visual art. I've seen it a lot in philosophy as well, where people are just like, I don't understand it. So I don't, I don't want to try to understand it. And I think they're just, they're just taking it not piecemeal enough. And, and mm. they're also like afraid of just the, the idea of, of struggle and the fact that you have to put a lot of hard graft into just the basic fundamentals before you're going to get anything that sounds yeah. good. Sometimes you find that you go to someone's house and there'd be a guitar in the corner and they're like, oh, do you play? And they're like, oh no, I tried it for a week. Couldn't, we couldn't get the grips of it. And you're like, oh, it's a shame. My impulse yeah. by Alhamazan. <laughs> yeah. I, I put it aside for now. But like, I'm out on the wall, man. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much confident in saying that I think everyone can play some instrument. I don't think when people say they're tone deaf. Yeah. I think it's harder for, for some people. I mean, if I can do it, fucking anyone can. But like, just like, I don't know. Some people just like, oh, I'm tone deaf. It's like, mm, no, I think, I think that's just like code like for drums, right? I haven't tried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. That's why I started on drums. Start doing jazz. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, or, yeah jazz. Yeah. <laughs> It's like with the excuse there where you've got small hands, you can't play. I, I went to a college with a, a kid who had dwarfism and he had hands like, I couldn't tell you, it was so small, but he could shred a piano faster than any bastard in that course. Could. Yeah. And we used to watch him. He used to, <laughs> he used to get really pissed off at him because he'd sit in the corner and play Superstition by Stevie Wonder all the time. It got a bit annoying in the end. But um, he was just <laughs> so fast. He, could, he was so technical and things he was doing, I can't even imagine doing in mine. Like, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. So the, the whole size doesn't matter thing. Does apply yeah. for that as well. Yeah, everyone says that. It's like, <laughs> oh, I've, I've got, um, I've got like really short hands. I can't play guitar. It's like that's not a thing. Like, small, if your hands are that small, you can get fingers more so guitars. short. And they say that to, they say that to a musician. It's like, but that it's bollocks. You don't. Yeah. I'm no, looking I used at, to get annoyed at like teachers used to say that like to me they were just like, oh, you got bigger hands. That's why you're better. I'm like, it's no, not because my hands. Great hands. Just because you because you haven't been practicing, you idiot. Like I'm. Oh, I wish I had hands like yours because if I I only have small yeah. hands, so I can't do all this stress. Like, no, what you're my teacher and you're full of shit. Yes. Your teacher like, give me your hands. Not at the end of the day, you can always go and make noise music with bees. You know, like yeah, yeah. How many times is going to come back to the bees? No matter how small. Not the bees. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting because obviously, like, I mean, musicians' brains have some interesting, like, uh, architectural differences um, mm. after a while as well. So, I mean, there is there is something to be said for like after a while, it can almost look kind of strange mm. uh, to a non-musician uh, certain things because, like, I mean, for example, uh, like Broca's area, which is associated with is part of the sort of frontal lobe. Um, is associated with stuff like producing speech. So you might have heard of like broker's aphasia or something like this, which is people who can't form words. Right. So they, they'll try to speak, but it'll just be like nonsensical words. Um, and that's when they've had have damage to the broker's area. Mm. <clears throat> or they could and, good few pints. And essentially like what a lot of is going on with in, in music is we're using a lot of the same uh, mechanisms in speech uh, that we use uh, in music. So like broker's area, if we're like performing or whatever, 
or like Wernicke's area, which is to do more with like comprehension of language. Mm. Um, so mm. that will be, we activate that a lot when we're listening to music. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, interestingly as well, like the occipital lobe, which is normally sort of processing vision and whatever, musicians actually use the occipital lobe a lot when they're uh, listening to music and non-musicians don't, which is something quite interesting, which implies there's something also going on uh, either visually or we're using that part of the brain for whatever reason uh, when we're also actively thinking about music. Um, yeah. So, there, you know, it, it is interesting how it does kind of change the way you sort of mm-hmm. think and perceive certain things over time. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, it is pretty much like another language or or seems to transcend language in some way. I was, I was thinking about the um, the myth of Orpheus when uh, he doesn't try and like reason with Cerberus to get his... Um, his missus back from the underworld. <laughs> he, like, I'll just write the best. You're fucking yeah. back. <laughs> yeah. No, but instead of using an argument, he or, or you know actual language, he just plays a song to Cerberus. And I think what the ancient Greeks were getting at was that it is this kind of like it is a language in, in itself. And um, I think you can see that when it doesn't really matter what the words are to a lullaby. Yeah. When you when you're little and you hear them, you you, you just you it's the melody tune. that suits you. Tune more when you're younger, right? Man. Yeah, I mean that goes all the way back to Pythagoras, though, doesn't it? Because I mean, way back then, I mean, there was no real disassociation between like the sort of sonorous perfection of harmony uh, and these sort of perfect intervals and ratios, um, which Pythagoras would apply to the planets and orbits. Ilko, at the time, he didn't know what the actual orbits or planets were, but he would associate stuff like distance from the Earth to the Moon as being like, like a whole tone or a perfect. Um, perfect octave and things like this and like mercury was like a you know a, a semitone or something for some reason i don't right, know why yeah. um but yeah it, go, it goes like way back to um yeah like, i think yeah. archimedes i think what was it archimedes possibly the first, first time that they started actually like mapping out um i think it's archimedes who'd like worked walked past a, a blacksmith and he heard like on the bars of metal uh, there was like you know perfect uh, phil collins in the air tonight started popping out <laughs> yeah <exactly. laughs> there was a gig going on and uh Ding ding, um, ding 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 ding. Yeah. <laughs> the whole communication with music thing, I think it comes in um, improv. We on stage doing like jazz and um, funk or any kind of well, any improv music, um, but you hear musicians bounce off each other. It's all kind of oh, they're communicating with music like you used yeah. before. But if you, it's so you can't really see it. If you're not noticing it's there. I think if you're a musician, you can notice these things, especially with live performances. If you're watching it. There's a band called Snarky Puppy. I'm not sure if you heard of them. I love Snarky. Yeah, Snarky, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Saw them live at the jazz festival, and then I I heard their songs before prior to that, and I went in, and the, the whole performance sounded nothing like the recordings I had listened to because they just look at each other. You see the way they look at each other on stage, and they're just bouncing off each other, and it's, it's physical and mental the way mm. they use their bodies and the the sounds they make to bounce off, and then they all know when to come back in. It's just it's crazy to watch once you understand it. Yeah, it's an absolute mindfuck. Yeah, I, I really I almost saw them in Bristol. Uh, I think it was 2019. I almost wanted to see them. I just didn't because there was something else that, like the next day or something. And I was ah, like, oh, what's wrong? I with should, you? I, yeah, I, I really regret it. Now, I'm like, oh, that gig looks so good. And I just probably doing a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, no, but it's it's yeah, it's pretty pretty old old music. I just wanted to ask you about Pythagoras. What you were saying about the universe and music in Jain and Hindu cosmology. There's this idea that certain chants can sort of they're sort of written into the universe and that music in a sense is something that's more innate than just like arbitrary language that it's that it's something that's almost like a type of physics if you chant in a very particular way it's almost like a spell and they're they're like almost like laws of the universe is that sort of what pythagoras was saying yeah i mean the ancient greeks were definitely in, in that sort of camp of there being some 
um, you know, almost divine, uh, you know, the distinguishing between, say, like maths and so many aspects of music just wasn't really a thing. Like it was all very much interrelated. Uh, so the, the Pythagoras thing was called uh, like the music of spheres, where it's just like all about, you know, the planets and orbiting and all sorts of things. I think it might later inspired Holt's uh, the planets things, mm. perhaps. It goes right back to, yeah, when they, when they would just hear these intervals and, and then measure out, oh, the mass of this particular thing that's making this major third is this ratio um, more than this particular one. And then that, that, there's, so there's clearly a relationship between the sound um, and, the, and the ratio of the mass of the object. Um, and, you know, these, these perfect sort of intervals and everything mm. sort of emerge from that. And obviously it's, it, I mean, it is interesting because it's, it's one of those things where it's, it, it's still, it's, there's a lot of like studies and things to do with the exact extent to which, um, say like our desire to listen to music, our enjoyment of music is innate versus environmental. Um, and I would say there's, there's some thin sort of studies based around trying to figure out um, what, like what sounds infants and, um, and also other mammals and things like this prefer over just like you know random noise or nothing or whatever else mm. um and there, there's some there's some things that do link towards uh the human brain somewhat uh preferring consonants so um you know good like uh, fairly even ratios between um between two different tones uh generally um and less sort of dissonant tones like a you know, like a minor third or a, or a, you know, like a sharp fourth or something certain intervals do seem to have more um pleasure but it, we're not 100% sure about that. That's um, it, Again, it's, it's very, very difficult to study that. Mm. Uh, one thing we do know is that there is very little, similar to language, there's very little sort of rule as far as, you know, um, taste in music and things like that. It does seem to be very, very heavily environmentally determined. Um, in the context of Western music, we see generationally uh, people will um, statistically be more likely to listen to music. They were introduced to um, between the ages of like 10 and 25 which includes also the music of their parents. So what you actually see is generationally, you see a spike in certain music around that era that you and your friends and whatever listen to at school. And also you see a spike in that generation's preference for their parents' music that they were listening to around the same time. Mm. So you just see this interesting thing where um, people will often go, oh, well, that must have been a golden age of music if this generation's listening to all the 60s stuff as well. Yeah, it's just a total misunderstanding of psychology. It'll be like the 70s that they also like on top of the 60s and then in the 80s. Yeah. Um, and I, I think these days it, it's quite interesting. I think uh, there were some uh, polls that were done on, on Gen Zs and I think they've now got the sort of the broadest musical tastes um, of, of that polled in generations, probably because they're exposed to a much greater variety. It's the music. access, yeah. It's much more accessible uh, due to streaming and things like this. Uh, most of them actually tend to use YouTube and things to discover new music and I mean, as such, it's it's kind of reflected, right? There's there's a greater variety of things that yeah. young generations have listened to. I think in terms of like uh, narratives are very diverse, and there are lots of different kinds of people more than more than ever. I think it's getting more and more sort of cosmopolitan, and for lack of a better word. And I, I think um, if you keep that in mind, and you also keep in mind the idea that like music and societal movements are cyclical, they both feed into each other. So like. The, the punk era created punk music and punk music created the, the punk era. I think if you keep that in mind, it's like, yeah, pretty much, why not? This is going to be the the era where all music is is popular because we're, we're in the most sort of diverse time. Right. I, I think, yeah, I mean, it's, but I think because of that sort of digital globalization, you you get much less of a, of a sort of clumping of, of these subcultures and groups. Mm. Um, I mean, it's still definitely a thing. You're still definitely going to get the forums where it's just all people who mm. love um, you know, my bloody Valentine or whatever, or yeah. people who love, you know, 
but it's less like mods and rockers and you know those <laughs> right, those, yeah. those, it's, those it's, complete it's less subcultures. Schools, and I think yeah, because of that reason, it's like it's less like you have to go around your mate's house and listen to his cassette tapes. It's like yeah. you know, it's like it's all just there on the iPod. It's like oh, if you've listened to this, have you listened to that? In terms um, of movements and stuff, do you reckon in some of the cases where people listen to like say mods and rockers as a great example, like in those in those days, do you reckon people would actually preferred the movement towards the music? So they were actually a fan of the music, but they were a fan of the movement rather than the other way around. I think they probably feed back into each other, right? Because like, yeah. there's often a social reason why they may become part it's of it. It's a package. Yeah, but in terms of actually culture. being like yeah. stimulated yeah. by the sound of the music. Yeah, and, and I reckon, and well, that's the, the second thing is, is um, as we've seen, familiarity seems to be one of the keys. It's, it's, again, it's relatively vague on like why we listen to music, why we like it, but one of the leading things we think it is is just is simply um, familiarity. I think it's called, it's called the mere exposure rule, which is uh, the mere exposure phenomenon, which is basically just to do with, and this, this applies to literally everything. If, you, if you're more familiar with particular shapes they've found, you will like those shapes over other shapes. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's that simple. And, um, uh, and they think that music is uh, somewhat similar as well, and that makes a lot of sense, that it's just mere exposure to it is going mm. to increase your preference towards it. And as such, I think even if you join, uh, a, you know, join a particular group and start listening to the thing, probably it'll probably grow on you because of that familiarity that's mm. being uh, bred therein. You know, I got a strange one. When I was a kid, I used to have a, well, my dad used to play um, Irish River Dance mm. in a car, and for some unknown reason, I obsessed. I had a stage where I was obsessed with it not too long ago. I used to listen to just last week. It, it may have been, but yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'll just listen to an Irish River Dance track, and uh, it's Real Over the Sun is my favorite track. And it's literally like um, you know Michael Flatley, all that, all those yeah. guys who jump around. I like act, actual river dance, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. yeah, yeah the proper stuff, yeah. <laughs> not fake river dance stuff. Yeah, but I just, I just find myself listening to it sometimes and thinking, I've got no obligation to be liking this. There's nothing about this because I'm quite like a rock metal nostalgia, kind of bloke. though, isn't it? it nostalgia is a great thing because yeah. there's other things I listen to as a kid in the car, and that I'll, I'll just pick up and go, oh, I really like this one, but I don't know why. And I remember one example was uh, Queen's uh, "We Will Rock You." Yeah. Um, I remember my dad shouting that in the car when I was <laughs> from a very young age, and ever mm. since I've just loved the song. But it's muscle memory of the brain, almost. Yeah, like, him's forcing me to clap my hands mm. and bang my yeah. feet on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do I do in this song? Just do this, and it sticks with you. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. just a strange one. There's, there's a lot of like uh, speculation as to, as to that almost the more nostalgic aspect as well, where it's, it's not just familiarity, but it's almost like affirmation of identity, mm. which is another sort of weird tangent of it, which. Hasn't been like necessarily confirmed, but I, I, there's a lot of a lot of people who sort of talk about this this relationship between identity and music, like attaching it to a, a, a comfortable time in your life. Almost. Yeah, but also it's it's like it's just it's like becomes part of how you define yourself, right? It's like part of defining identity and self is like the things that you like and you know the music you listen to and things like this. Um, and I think that's that can be very comforting to people to have uh, you know more defining aspects of their personality. And I think music can almost archetypically represent that. Um, in some sense, where it's you listen to it and it's sort of affirming part of that uh, identity that or like part of um, who you are um, on some fundamental level, and that can be comforting in some way. But whether that's you know also part of it uh, on top of just you know mere familiarity is 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 somewhat speculative. But it but is yeah, there's a whole interesting bunch of people who've written about that sort of thing and identity and music and that sort of thing. Yeah, Nietzsche actually wrote a little bit on that. I was reading something this morning. I'm going to paraphrase a, a quote from a guy called Robert Green. Uh, he has this book called Mastery, and he basically makes the point that we all want to connect to reality. So that's why we, essentially why we do all the things we do. We play sport, we get pissed, and we uh, take like risks and, and engage in dangerous behavior to feel alive for, uh, you know, one of a better phrase. Um, to be you know, experiencing thrills in order to 
basically uh, feel alive. And then ultimately, the best way we can feel alive is to create and especially create music because we're in that moment, not just consuming, but creating and controlling a, a small part of reality. And I think that's specifically where the sense of identity comes from. It comes from that autonomy over existence. Mm. And I think, uh, yeah, Nietzsche, I mean, Nietzsche talks fucking loads about identity anyway, but um, he talks especially about music. I was, I was kind of thinking about this at the time when I started getting into music because I, I sort of felt that I was quite lost in a sense. Um, And I talked about that in relation to like, philosophy and why I began studying it but I think music helped in a big way with that as well I think there's there's this looming question of like what should the direction of your life be how should I live my life and I think one of the the biggest answers that people have come up with is to pursue excellence but then I think you you run into this question of well what what does excellence mean and we can point to things being excellent if it's like a desk or a computer or a beer and that I think the reason we can do that with those things, but not with people is because these things have a function. They have a purpose. Uh, so what is the the function of a human? Well, that's the fucking can of worms. Mm. But I think I knew what the function of a musician was. So I just focused on that. And I think that was a big start, just trying to be an excellent musician and whatever that meant. Um, so I, I think I, I really did, for the first time in my life, craft a little bit of identity. Because, um, you know, I, I, I think at that time as well, I, I, I mean, I think my first decent friendships were from music. And I think I, I struggled a lot with, um, my grades were pretty shitty, struggled with bullying and stuff like that, like just before I got into music. I think music just awakened that sense of identity that wasn't there before, even if that was just finding some form of motivation, something to strive for, um, like a challenge or a, a pursuit, something where you could say, okay, I've got better at that and this is what I'm aiming to do. And I think you can extrapolate that creation of talent onto everything else and right. from there slowly kind of build up a sense of identity. Mm. Yeah. yeah. yeah There's definitely a great escape. Um, going back to the early years, I remember like, I did the bullying as well at school. I think it's year nine um, is where it started happening. And I went through the stage of changing groups of my social life. Mm. And the group I went into, um, were they all actually musicians? We had a drummer, we had a bassist, we had a fucking lead guitarist who could shred at such an early age of his life. I didn't think it was possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but even those occasions where I was grafting my amp across to his garage to play that like, Breaking Benjamin at like, seven in the afternoon or something in the evenings, it yeah. was just one of the most biggest releases of expression you can give. And then just doing that and even going back to school, I wasn't as worried about going back because I knew that I had this kind of comfort zone that mm-hmm. I had a relationship with all these other musicians that I was hanging around with. It's like an anchor. Oh yeah, yeah. Because mm. so, you you've got this this group of close mates, and um, with you and I, and with um, Kieran and everybody else, uh, I think because of that like unspoken language, I think that was such a deep connection um, that I just wasn't I wasn't really getting that. And I, I think um, especially with my my ADHD and my autism and stuff, I, I think it allowed for a certain level of like I felt very high functioning whilst I was doing that kind of stuff, and I think I extrapolated that onto the rest of like, it was easier to make just normal friendships day to day. Yeah. And I, I, like I, you're I, saying about, uh, yeah. agreeing about control and everything and like often, you know, spectrum disorders. Well, one of the primary things that's often a, you know, associated with them is, is a necessity for control and, and consistency in an environment. And, you know, that he was sort of saying the, um, 
being able to go into a particular domain and have control over that particular domain and sort of be, um, you know, on in the pursuit of a certain um, degree of aptitude with with that particular domain affords you that sense of control. Um, and I guess for you, yeah, you know, like that can really help someone, especially you know when you um, when you desire more control necess- you know, than, than the average person, perhaps you know. Yeah, you can just understand music and the music you're playing and i think you can understand yourself a little bit better as an extension um and i I I think we said similar things to that effect um sport as well i think if you just take something very specific and you know how fast can i run why am i running and i think you start to answer a lot of other wider questions even maybe without realizing yeah i mean what is alex honnold doing other than exercising the maximum amount of control over a mountain right it's like Mm. he climbs a mountain it's like that's exactly what he's doing is exercising control in a particular domain um you know through that sort of aptitude that they have and that becomes you know a large part of their you know identity and the persistence of identity and um and yeah it's comforting i guess mm. and the great thing about music as well move on to the more um mental aspect of it i found most recently especially over lockdown when you pick up your guitar well, sometimes I'll pick up my guitar if I'm feeling in a certain mood. If I feel like I'm going to be down for the day, it can be such a mood swinger. Like your serotonin will just snap into place. Melancholy. It's absolutely. If you, if I know in a bad mood, either listening to music, or even better, if you just play, even you're just like playing a song on Spotify and you play along with it, sing along with it, mm. your mood will just boost massively because of this. Your part, I'm not sure you know much know more about your, your brain and yeah, stuff, um, but you, there's some part of your brain will just just elevate and you become like so much high spirit and you walk away after like 10, 15 minutes playing the guitar. I find that really strange. Like I'll listen to a sad song when I'm sad. Mm. It makes me feel happier. Even though the point of the song is to make you feel how probably sometimes the singer or the writer feels. Mm. I think you just resonate with how they're feeling. I think, I think the great thing about music is that it transcends experience. You feel like you're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think even, (laughs) I was going to talk about this maybe later but I'll, I'll talk about it now so <laughs> i don't know how much of a can of worms this is but we used to play at the su bar didn't we now um before in the before times in the before yeah. times yes we did <laughs> we established uh, a really nice sense of community through those open mics yeah, yeah that was fun really nice um my favorite genre is blues and i remember somebody at the bar prop they were probably a first year student or something with with a lot of sort of ideas about identity politics and they they said <laughs> so, so, the, so the classic student then the modern yeah, yeah. students were they drinking a kermit by any chance yeah, yeah. <laughs> they but they said that basically you and i shouldn't be playing blues because of our sort of because of our skin cultural color appropriation it's cultural yeah exactly i'll behave well they're accusing us tell to fuck off <laughs> well i i, I do it's like an m&m con rap so oh, he's yeah. not black. Like, like, yeah, fucking. <laughs> well, yeah. It makes no sense. Like so, in defence of this, I do think that meaningful relationships with one's history is what should be strived for. I, I think that, like, a, a healthy relationship with cultural artifacts that sort of belong to your own heritage are better. But I think that if you say you can't do anything outside of that, you you can't have music in that you're, case. Yeah, you're limiting where it can go. Yeah, by just saying, "Oh, you you don't have anything to do with the culture." Yeah, yeah. it all spans from blues, and then from like you know early days when the slave trade back in the in the US, where they had in the forties, like Detroit, when they had like all these guys mm. on metal drums in the street slamming, and there used to be like, "What was it?" These is like sell like piano sheet music to like backhanded to the the slaves at the time, and they would make their own out of it. Yeah, and then everyone's going, "Oh, this is really really good." 
There's and a lot of origin from all, that. And yeah, that's all come yeah, back yeah. from Africa where they yeah. were doing the tribal music with the, the yeah. drums. And it's, I mean, all, it's all come from that. Yeah, blues is, is pretty much, it's the most raw uh, type of, it's, it's drawn from like six different things, isn't it? It's like... Yeah, it's a combination uh, of loads of different things. Yeah, it's like African folk music, which is like super raw, about as basic as music can get and really important spiritually. And then you've got like the Christian stuff as well, the gospel stuff. Um, you've got slave songs, uh, Americana folk, and all that kind of blending together. And I, yeah, I just think it's really weird that, that this idea that you can't, this something, somehow I'm missing something. I, I think in actual fact, it's, it's a better thing that a white person can play what, what is deemed as, as black music. Because I think what the Rolling Stones were doing was in the best, with the best intentions, like to blues music, with the blues mm. explosion in the, in the 60s and stuff. So I think what they were doing is, is sort of recognising what had become quite a old niche genre mm. and sort of going, look, all the modern stuff you like comes from this. And they're actually yeah. bringing out a lot of these black musicians and saying, you know, listen to, the, to, to their music. And they were also reinventing their music in, in novel and interesting ways. And I just think it's like cultural exchange is what creates art and you can't have art or even a conversation if you're shutting down who can play what. And I think it's a matter of taste anyway, but it's also, it's, it's a necessity for House the Rising art. Sun. Like that's just a yeah. cover of a new song that yeah, came yeah, yeah. out of New Orleans. Yeah. It's like we wouldn't have had that if, you know, there wasn't that sort of cultural dialogue. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's like, I mean, the argument sort of stems from this idea. Um, I, I mean, originally I can, there was probably roots in the idea of certain like mockery or, or like mockery and imitation and things like that. Which you could say was maybe offensive, but yeah, you a long that, time ago, yeah, a long time ago, and somehow this is like transformed into oh well, now all forms of imitation, um, you know, ha- are in some way offensive, which is completely ridiculous. Yeah. Well, in fact, I, wouldn't, I mean, I hope for the sake it hasn't, because I, this is one example I've never heard of before. I've never heard someone actually rise up against someone playing blues music. It and was saying it. the most bizarre thing because like, I've heard it maybe with yeah, rap and R and B and like the early nineties, early two thousand stuff. I can understand. That was a that was a generation of like you know black culture in like uh, um, gang culture in the US, and that was all built around that. So mm. I can it's, it's almost the same as the slaves and the way they kind of raised their own genre out of the circumstances they were in. Mm. So I can understand, but to use it as against well, blues, it's a generational thing, isn't it? Like, yeah, absolutely. Everyone nowadays is just raised to think that their opinion counts for something, and they must. But in a certain things with music, it's such a open and creative aspect. I mean, you you take snippets of every kind of like genre you hear and create it into your own. But these people that have these opinions on this probably aren't musicians. They probably don't understand the way your creativity is made. Or yeah. Also it's, I mean, it actually demonstrates a lack of empathy. Because yes. I think what one of the main key features of the music enables us to do is empathize with another culture. Yeah. This is, this is why I brought it up. What is blues, but like the tales of, a, of the struggles of another culture, where it originally came from. And if you're going to deny the you know the, the desire to listen to that and enjoy it and imitate it and play it and that sort of thing mm. is is to not, is to deny people the chance to like really love and empathise with that particular story and that particular music. Um, yeah, I just can't think of anything. You know, I mean, just, you know, the ultimate flattery is imitation, right? And it's and it's yeah, no, yes, that's great. That great, would, great it's strange that you would yeah to decide that that is off limits now to all because it's, it's as if you want well, to it, build these walls between everyone. It's always white people building those walls yeah. <laughs> you know it, it's never it, if i want to listen to oh. robert johnson and and i can't see how that can be a bad thing if i if i want to play uh you know walking blues or something if i if i want to if i can fit into those shoes if i can if i can see through those eyes how is that a bad thing for for 
discussions around race. As you said like earlier, if you're saying it's a tale, which it is, surely re-singing it's not a bad thing. It's surely the, it's the spread of a tale. Mm, and right. so like, in what world is spreading someone a, a story, put it on a basic thing, a bad thing? Like, mm. Right, the point is you exercise some empathy and, yeah. you, and you, you gain some insight into that particular struggle mm. or whatever it is. And, it's, yeah. and it's, you know, that is a vital part of how uh, cultural exchange should happen. And I think, I think art is all about that kind of bridging of barriers. And it's not, I think as soon as people start artificially imposing all these sections, like, I mean, you're doing exactly the thing you think you're becoming. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's white people um, sort of arbitrarily uh, gatekeeping a kind of tribalism. Like they're sort of saying, like, no, 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 this this is off limits, and and they're actually encouraging a sort of they own that, they own that, and and there's no kind of right. dialogue mm. between. Yeah, and the irony is when the blues came about, it was a mixture of white culture and black culture coming together. Because obviously you had the beat from the blues and the melodics from the white culture coming in together to form this new genre, and that was a great kind of drive for the community of both to come together and go forward as a society rather than being like segregated right so ironically when they're saying you shouldn't be playing blues well blues is made by both kind of coming together and then from that is formed all these other genres yeah i, I think they wanted to reach a white audience they wanted to yeah. uh, um sort of tell their story and, and have it and have it known um i've been listening to a lot of like gospel stuff lately um i'm not religious but like the the power of that kind of oh. music is, is incredible mm. um that's why i've always liked blues because it, it it's got such a narrative to it the way it would sort of came from from Africa and parts of the US, just in the Delta and then spread from the Delta. You've got Mississippi blues and Chicago blues and New Orleans stuff where it blends with jazz and stuff. Um, I, I, I think that there's a continuity from that to rock and roll and, and, and the way it was taken in kind of more uh, protesty and, and experimental stuff with like mm. punk and, and psych- oh, psychedelia. Yeah, it's, it's like an ancestry of the music genre map. You would just see it all, yeah. it just spires out right. from that one particular, yeah. well not just from that genre particularly, yeah. but a lot of yeah. it does come from that. I kind of feel with like a lot of modern music that it's lost that, but that might just be me being an old soul. I but think it's not lost, I think it's just aged badly, not it's badly, sort of, but it's sort of diluted. The, the basics of, not necessarily melodically, but a lot of the beats, maybe some of the Baselines, you can maybe say as well. A lot of the transposed into what you class as modern day music, especially mm. pop, like, beat, like a blues beat, like so. It's very simple. It's very straight, yeah. very driven that way. But it's yeah, the elements of it are you still used today in pop music? I think. Yeah, mm. but I think it's more like the reason why these sort of genres come in waves is that we we prefer something where it's not exactly the same if we listened before, but it's been changed or you know it creates some slightly different experience for us. And I think uh, blues for me, at least, I think there. are um, it's it's largely something where I, I was, a lot of modern blues for me it it kind of feels like uh, too much of like an artificial imitation of um, a lot of the storytelling that was kind of happening, which is why I'm not necessarily as much of a fan of um, some of the more uh, modern artists. That's not all. I do case, agree. With you. It's like there's yeah there's there's a lot of stuff where it's um, I do feel like it's it's nice to see genres gradually evolve over time and change and shift around because as the context and the culture and the story changes. I think the music and the way it's arranged and the instruments used and the stories that are being told mm. and like the influences from other genres and all sorts of things is it like that all in, that all impacts um, you know the message being sent across and you know and I think yeah particularly if we look at certain genres that very much have a specific genealogy at, at a time and place um, I you know they tend to start to sound a little bit. Um, you know, like the corpse of what it once was after a while, if you're continuing on with exactly the same thing that they were doing. You kind of get like, recycled um, every now and then. Every, every kind of uh, 
generation or two, you do every yeah, type of version of yeah. like um and like Rag and Bone Man, for example. Like he's not yeah, very, yeah, you know what I mean? Like he he's a typical blues artist. So he would probably be famous in the sixties or fifties if he was around then. Mm-hmm. But his a lot of his earlier stuff was very simple, very much like a blues artist would be back in the day. Mm. And everyone loved it, didn't they? Everyone's like, oh my yeah. god, this guy's doing blues. Yeah. What? And, and that sounds a lot more genuine. I think it was mm. that. I think it's that uh, genuineness of of those kinds of uh, things when they research, which I think people really latch onto. Oh, which is what I like, and it's also you know you can tell it's like there's there's always like this slightly unique spin or something different um, in the presentation or the stories being told mm. when it's uh, when they sort of come around like that. Yeah, um, I think that's what I was getting at. Um, it's kind of like authenticity versus cynicism. That's yeah. for me. That's why I can't hear the blues and a lot of modern music because to me it feels it feels cynical. But I also feel the same about modern blues music, like you say, that's that's stagnated and kind of feels like really old hat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like I used to really like Joe Bonamassa as a blues artist but I think some of the things he does now are a little bit sort of it just just feels like I, I don't I don't I think it's ineffable really I can't I can't really explain it but um, it, it's just kind of this sense I get it just feels a little bit tired mm. yeah yeah no, I think there's um, and there is also like the that interesting thing where you know you get, like you said you get these generational sorts of resurgences of particular subcultures that sort of come back but in a slightly different way which partly happens because of this like generational interest in particular music yeah, absolutely. your parents music that you that you end up liking and then that sort of comes back in You're your generation music. Um, so it sort of skips a generation <laughs> and then it's but it's slightly different the sort of you know um maybe the stuff that you listen to or like the more modern stuff that's mm. in that sort of vein um and so you yeah i think you see a lot of that which is interesting but it's 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 I think it's odd if if it's like a certain genre where you've been listening to like a lot of uh, a particular thing, and then you hear something that's a little bit too close to it that's new. And sometimes, but but by the same stroke, if someone came came across the genre and that was their entry point, it's like that they're gonna love it. It's great because it, to them, it's like the authentic original. Mm-hmm. I think I think it comes back to that like. Um, you know, you don't want to hear like the same poem over and over and over again, really, or whether just like a few words changed or like a stanza changed here. It's mm-hmm. it's you know it's. Um, I, I think we can perhaps get over familiar with a certain genre or whatever over time. Although, you know, I, at least I can speak for myself, but I'm not, I'm not entirely sure if that's I say a lot of pop the case. Is a lot like that. Yeah. Uh, people have a certain, I think with a lot of pop, everyone's get comfortable with the way it sounds and Nowadays. the way it feels. Yeah. And it's very easy to kind of recycle pop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Especially with the four chord song. You put four chords together, you can make any pop song you want yeah, to. Yeah, and it's, it's ridiculous. Have you ever tried doing it? <laughs> Yeah, the axis force chords. I've I've shamelessly used them. I'm like, I have, I get, I get I'm a, everything. Everyone's allowed to use them once in a song, and that's it. <laughs> and, you know, like, like everyone's, once you've done everyone's it, allowed it. to do it. Yeah, um, but it's just crazy. I mean, you, I think I, I performed it for the volley once, and he couldn't believe it. He's like, "There's no way you can do it." But obviously, each song isn't exactly like it sounds. But you no. can. But the melody you sing over top, it'll, you'd be able to. Oh, that's that song. Yeah, yeah. and it's crazy. Yeah. And it was all recycled. Yeah. And uh, yeah, again, the, the cynicism in in a lot of the like the big industry productions, like we we see trends, like for example like lots of elements of trap music sort of ends up in most pop now um like apart from you know maybe a few few sort of artists you will very frequently see in, in the charts it, no matter what the artist is kind of main thrush of the genre is whether it's r&b whatever you'll start to see elements of like oh because trap became really big as, as a sort of cultural thing you get the trap high hats so you're now going to start bleeding into all sorts of uh, genres of pop um and you see other sort of trends i don't know if you've heard of things like the millennial whoop um if uh, if anyone that's heard of that but it's like whoa Oh it's, yeah, it's that sort of thing, and that's yeah. so many. Got James Say going. Um, this, this, yeah, <laughs> you mentioned like the axis of awesome chords, you know, like things like that, where it's the, where you these certain patterns that sort of catch on for a while, and then you can tell it's there's a lot of cynicism 
um, in some of the... And part of that comes out of the fact that you've got like 11, 12 producers all on a track who are, you know, obviously also thinking about the market. Yeah, I, I, I struggled to call that art because of the the... The kind of the, the, the way profit, it's the need for profit behind yeah, it. Yeah, the intention behind it, the, the way that it's conceived. I, but before you come on with that part, I mean, we go back to what we said before about the way music makes you feel just naturally. If, mm. if for the human's like, perspective, if they enjoy that sound, um, like, okay, it's not a would do to me, and it's yeah. the same for them, then I agree with you. I, I hate to admit it, it's, yeah, it shouldn't be art, but unfortunately, it is. I completely, I completely, you know I mean? it's fine. Yeah, yeah I completely it's, it's agree. Annoying. Right, I completely agree. It, mm. I, for me, it's a little bit like Transformers movies. They're made, <laughs> they're made to appeal to like, yeah, right. They're made to appeal to the lowest common denominator, but they're ultimately they're films for people that don't like films. That doesn't mean that mm-hmm. some people don't find them their so absolute favorite. Baseline entertainment. Yeah, it's like mind-numbing entertainment. It, yeah, yeah what I two-hour-long advert, basically. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah for a fucking toy line, <laughs> basically. Yeah, and and all the other fucking product placement. But yeah, it, it's it's basically <laughs> yeah. what I would say to that is right. Cheese strings. Um, <laughs> That's a strange on. insult. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, Conti- the continue. Yeah. Yeah. Cheat. So I I I really. I'm gonna just yeah. I really I'm, love cheese oh, strings. I really, I really love cheese strings. Yeah, but it's it's saying that it, it's cheese for people that don't like cheese. Like it, it just is better. It is because it's a more acquired taste to have like you know a fucking giant platter with like four different types of cheeses. You know, like ale infused f- fucking amazing cheese with like <laughs> olives. Got thirteen years worth on it. Yeah, but um. I think the best tastes are acquired. So what I would say to people that just like pop, and there's a lot of people that sort of do, I think sometimes it's just the the unwillingness to go out and explore other, yeah. other genres that might resonate with you more. Almost, I, could you compare it to maybe become comfortable with the music um, culture? Like, you know, if people get comfortable with the job, the same aspect of that. Mm. So instead of branching out and being a bit more adventurous and being a bit more dangerous, mm. trying to do something different. They just get comfortable with where they are. Like, I'm going to move along. I don't think the sense of because with a job, it's a sense of safety. I'm going to stay here because I didn't mean exactly. Yeah, music. but I know. You, I know. What yeah, you mean. yeah, I know what you mean. In terms of safety and music, because yeah. you might someone might listen to I don't know, a metal song here, like a riff, and go, "Oh no, that's, that's a bit mm. too much, isn't it? Like, too much of what?" But pe- what? people feel the same when they have like blue cheese for the first time, or like oh, a really expensive whiskey. If they've never had whiskey, they go, "Ugh." Yeah, that, because that's the mark of something that's. Good. Once you understand it, yeah. and it does take a long time to to sort of get in, understand yeah. olives, coffee, yeah. all the same. Yeah, all the best tastes are acquired, and it's, it's exactly the and same with art. I, mean, I think it's like when I'm ragging on pop music, I'm not like saying oh, you're stupid for listening. Like the, the point is mm, that yeah. it's like when you, I think as a musician, I think when you do more of it, like like you said, there's like a lot. You're often frustrated that it's like I want to listen to something that's a bit bit crazier, a bit more out there. And I think you and like you said, like an acquired taste sort of thing is where mm. um you know if if you're if everyone is just serving you, you know, cheddar all the time. Fosters. And the radio is a big part of that as well. Because the radio is pumping out that kind of music. And unfortunately mm. if you are a person that goes to work every day in the car, probably radio or Chris Moyles, wherever it is, listens and there'll be a song on there that will always be resonating around the whole of the country or around the world. It'll be it'll be pop music. And then Yeah, again another song about having wet bits. 
<laughs> WAP. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I got completely lost. Then. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, it's it's um, yeah. It, um, I think it, it, it can be diff- it can be annoying because it's sort of like I think when you learn to hear those patterns and you just start okay, look, you've taken you know that can you be stop using that particular mm. thing in that yeah that particular arrangement that particular thing that particular like melody line in every song like you know there's just like lots of pop where it sort of does this you know um, pretty much just like a note and then it will go up one note and that'll be like a verse so it'll just be like na 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 so much pop like that now and it's yeah, the, yeah. stuff like that where it's like okay you know maybe the first couple of times it's not a problem then after yeah. a while people, and you know obviously I'm ranting about like cynically about pop music but it's like it's at the same time if you enjoy listening to that stuff you know more power to you that's you know fine mm, absolutely um, but yeah I think I think it can be difficult uh, for people to, yeah, to understand yeah. when, it, when, it, when it's like stuff that you really like and passionate about especially I think if you like to listen to a lot of different stuff and you're hearing a lot of repetition it can get kind of frustrating but yeah um, I, that's I'm the same with you I absolutely appreciate it. I mean there's even some pop music I like I'm not afraid to say it. Mm. Like, I'm gonna, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. And I think everyone, like, even if they don't want to admit it, because like, you know, we've all been open to say, like, you know, listen to pop music, you don't hate it. Yeah, yeah. There's some people out there who go, I bloody hate it. It's ridiculous. I, it's the most ridiculous kind Death of music. Of music or and something. I say to yeah, them, think that's that. absolutely fine. But are you just saying that because you're trying to be like culturally different and be edgy? edgy. Mm. Like, there's, mm. you, there's no shame in you saying you like a certain type of pop no. music. It's there the same way every other type of music is. Uh, if you like it, you don't like it. Fair enough, if you don't literally like it, there's some probably that I hate as well. The whole point is genre. You know? There's, there's yeah, some sorry. music in the genres I do like, which I hate. Like, yeah. It's not wrong to hate something like that. Like, yeah. If it sparks the right thing in your head, mm. then why not like it? Yeah. And I've always thought, like, because like, I've, I've, there's not really any genres, I, I, I wouldn't say I like, dislike yeah. genres or hating it. It's, it's more just like, you've got to find like the way in, or you find like the thing Absolutely. where the gateway drug into a particular genre. That's the same like, way. Oh, I, you know. It's a very strong way of looking at it. Because when I was a bit younger, I did have a bit of that. I used yeah. to think, oh, rap music, I just don't get it. It's, it's horrible. But then I listen to some other stuff. I mean, I'm not like into it, but I can't name any songs off the top of my head. There'll be something like I'll listen to and I go, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. Although it was um, oh, like Godzilla by Eminem. Yeah. When he brought that album then, I was like, this actually, it's, I quite enjoy, I actually listen well, to it in my spare time. I yeah. actually take my time out to listen to a it. A really good summary of like, just what, how crazy it can be for like an individual is like your Spotify, Spotify does the whole mix of your year or your month, right? And then mine can be like Wolfpack or Oaks McDonald nice. and then all the way up to like uh, The weekend. And then I'll, I might even have a fucking Taylor Swift song on there at one point. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I'll literally listen to anything and then I'll have like uh, some Bob Dylan on there or something. And yeah. I mean, yeah. That often correlates with like high openness to experience as well. Yeah. Uh, which I think most like very musical people generally, I think, uh, tend to be uh, higher in, in personality openness, which is basically just essentially how, how much you want to take in new experiences, try new things, do the sorts of stuff like that. Um, and I, th- I think generally when I when I see people who get very elitist, and I think I was very elitist when I was a teenager. I think we all, I, oh, yeah, I everyone had a bit of it, didn't it? Yeah. Connor still is. Uh, you've got, you, you know what you like, and you're just like, everyone should like yeah. what, I, what I like. Exactly. And, and I you go to robot mode. Right. I hate Conversion. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, hate the, I hate those people, the stubbornness of them. They just yeah. aren't open. But to be fair, I, I guarantee it was every single one of us. It I'm was. Like, yeah. yeah. There's people you meet now who were like within their like 30s. Like, and stuff yeah, with the age. I also think that people have that attitude. The, the people that like pop have that attitude sometimes. When it comes to like jazz or whatever, they say, oh, there's, there's nothing to get. It's just shit. And I think that sort of confuses um, pretension. Basically, I think people think that 
certain things are inherently pretentious, like opera. Well, but I think it's a heuristic thing, isn't it? That's, a, like, concept, that's a classic I, you know, if, you're not, if you don't want to go for the effort of like learning or trying to understand a particular genre, it's easier to just give it a label. Yeah. Or try yes, to, exactly. I think it's smart by just, you know, putting it in a bucket. Oh, it's, it's pretentious. Oh, I know it's, you know, it's, it's kind of cool to hate jazz and think it's stupid noise. Yeah. But then, and, you know, then you miss out on listening to Snarky Puppy or something like this or... Uh, or like you know, and all these, and just, you know, loads yeah. of great artists. Because you don't get it the first time, you, your immediate reaction is go, "Well, there, there's nothing to get," because you don't want to like sort of admit to yourself that you don't get something that, that, that's valid. Yeah. And and I think a lot of people, I've, I've basically started calling people like, out of context. I started calling people crabs because um, <laughs> that's good, yeah. there's this there's this because they walk side to side. There's this parable of the uh, uh, the crab. I think Sam told it to me. It's it's oh, yeah, yeah. it's like this guy walking along. He sees a fisherman with a bucket full of crabs, and he's like, "Oh, aren't you worried these crabs are going to get out of the bucket?" And one of them tries to, and he and the fisherman says, "Like, check it out. Look what's going to happen now. Um, this is why I'm not worried." Uh, all the other crabs just pull that crab down. And I think that's just a, a perfect metaphor for um, people just putting down a lot of things. Basically, mm-hmm. they're just being crabby. They just they just they think, well, you, I can't have it, so neither can you. Yeah. And, and I think mm. that's that's if you like something intensely, so long as you're not being a snob. And I I genuinely think that most people aren't snobby mm-hmm. when it comes to anything like ale tasting or wine or whatever. I think there's a separate issue with those things with access. I think it can the industry they are a part of can can be gatekept um because they don't correlate to like things that are easy access like like opera you don't need opera so i think the industry around it can be expensive as a result because it's people with surplus cash who can like it but i but i think that do you you think that though do you think opera specifically is a like class thing absolutely yes but at the end of the day everyone can Fucking tune into classic FM. Um, no, but I think the the history behind, behind opera is yeah. a very it's a very um, high end kind of concert to go to. So yeah. if we're back in the day, I think opera. But was, nowadays, do you think? No, it's but still, this is, no. The problem is nowadays it's it spanned the idea of opera has spanned from. Sorry, the idea I got of, off the point. No, it's, uh, yeah, the, no. Idea, the idea of opera has spanned from what it was about forty years ago, fifty years ago, yeah. when it was lots of a hierarchy like concert to go to. You'd all go there, yeah, royal yeah. gowns. I think it's and becoming no more one that You couldn't afford to go. Yeah. I was about to say because nowadays I think it's a lot more like it's a lot more accessible. Everyone. It can be it can yeah. be difficult to understand to people who aren't initiated, and I think that the snobbery because there is obviously I think, I think it hasn't lost a lot of its cultural attachment, right? And I think there's a yeah. lot of genres like that where, where it's not necessarily the gatekeeper, but there is an association with it. Um, you know, I know certain people will just have like cult, you know, almost a culture running through the family of like, oh no, these genres are just not <laughs> off limits because mm. they're just bad or whatever, and, and you get and also like said like the. With, with classes and stratification and you know um, so like your socioeconomic status will be a predictor of what kind of stuff you like to listen to because uh, because of that um, which is you know all factors into it yes yeah but yeah I, I think some people confuse something with being completely hollow and like there's nothing to it there's nothing for me to get and something being really really expensive it's like whiskey is like 200 pound a bottle and they go well it must be a scam it's like well no just because it's expensive doesn't mean there's nothing to it it is a problem that it's that expensive. Two hundred pound bottles a bit of a scam, though. To be fair, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it is. But to say that it's just people making it up, so no, they're not making it up. It's just uh, the prices are inflated. And there's a difference. Yes. Um, and I think it's the same with any sort of hobby. I, I think you know, if you've got surplus cash, if you want to spend it on whiskey, then go for it. Yes, like, please. That's <laughs> if, if that's if that's your interest. I, I think I think you know that there there is a conversation to be had about these things that are potentially pretentious going back to jazz and opera and stuff 
there is a conversation to be had, but I I think they just attract dicks. They just attract like snobby people. It's you know people go to opera because they're snobs. They're not snobs because they go to opera. Bring all the crowds. Well, that's an irony in itself, isn't it? And um, how jazz has become quite a snobby thing now, isn't it? Mm. We look at it about. And 60 years ago, yeah, it was yeah. at the bottom of the barrel yeah. kind of genre to go and kind yeah, of yeah. performing yeah. or witness. And now it's, and now it's like, oh, I'm going to do some jazz. We went to that jazz come in Berlin and it was just like, yeah. people were really getting into it. And granted, we were a bit drunk and we were watching it, but like people were properly into it. And it's just to think that it's, it's, it's all improvised a lot. Like you do have a premonition of what you're probably going to do. But like so they normally set a key, yeah. And then you'll go into yeah. that key, and then but, the, pian- the penis will kind of start one, two, get that, and you're off. And, and then they'll yeah. just do it. But that's the brilliance of it, though. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's all organic. It just evolves. Yeah. And that's there. what I was talking about before with that, the communication and stuff on stage. It, it, when you watch it, it's really fantastic. Mm. And the Berlin was very good. Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember we were uh, just jamming a very, very simple thing at like four in the morning that <laughs> once for like oh. a, for like an hour. <laughs> yeah. And if you read it back, I mean, if you do read it back, we were probably doing nothing crazy. It was like it was something. So basic, but at the mm. time it felt bloody amazing. Yeah, it's, it's transformative. It, 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 you know, because because you're doing that thing with you know, you're basically speaking another language. I mean, mm. Ollie was watching this. He, he, he Ollie cried. Had a, yeah, <laughs> tearing up. Got a bit emotional. Um, uh, That's the most powerful thing I've done in music, by the way, is making him cry. Yeah, and it, was, it was such a it was such a humbling experience. Because um, not only were we like in sync, having a conversation without speaking, but it was it was speaking to someone else as well. And all three of us, without saying a word, understood something. Mm. And I, I think that's just... There's an unbreakable moment. Yeah. I mean, there was nothing to take the terror apart from that. It's it's the closest thing to magic that there is. It's fucking amazing. And when you reach it, it's something better than sex, better than anything. <laughs> <laughs> You're weak. Get that on record. <laughs> I mean, Colin Ollie is better than having sex. <laughs> <laughs> Has anybody got anything else to say? <laughs> I was keen for a numbers section because you know how much I love numbers. Oh, yeah. Why didn't you tell us about cheese strings, Connor? I think I'm having a stroke when you were talking about them for a second. <laughs> so, uh, uh, cheese strings. It's <laughs> a trigger word to say. <laughs> what was everybody's first album? Oh, I know mine. Yeah. I was Permission to Land by the Darkness. Of course it was. Yeah, Demon Days by Gorillaz when I bought that. Oh, fair enough. That surprises me, actually. Yeah. No, I used to love Gwyneth. Oh, nice. Yeah, well, <laughs> used to. <laughs> fucking hate them <laughs> now. <laughs> I mean, like, this yeah, is our fucking Phil Collins advert. What? the Cadbury's one? <laughs> yeah, it's Gorilla playing drums, isn't it? Oh, see. <laughs> it's, it's a really bad joke. Yeah. So did they do a collab? <laughs> That's what I'm saying, like, clueless. Uh, um, I think mine was Meteora. Is it Meteor? Oh, I keep getting this wrong. Linger Park, Meteora. You're having a stroke now. I, I think I am. <laughs> uh, Meteoronica? That uh, one. By yes. Park. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. I, I know which one. I know which one you saw me, but I can't remember which one. The Linkin Park album where they pronounce the name. That, that Linkin Park album. We're going to HMV and getting the CD. Yeah. Mm. And the poster. The poster. When was the last one after you got CD? The day. I couldn't tell you the day it was. It was on the Friday. Well, roughly. It was old. probably... Jesus. It must have been high school. I think because mm. I really? remember the days where I used to go to school and I used to have a flip phone mm. and I used to go to the playground and we set Bluetooth names. Remember going to your settings and you used to find each other on Bluetooth and just send each other random crap. And um, I got a few good tunes and I got a lot of Breaking Benjamin stuff. That was a lot of the early stuff I used to get. The first one I ever got, the first song I ever played off my phone was a Breaking Benjamin song. 
and it was off a guy at a wedding. <laughs> I went to where I was a kid. And he went, heard this band? I was like, no. He's like, I'll send it to you on Bluetooth. So I got my phone. I was like, whoosh, ripped it out. <laughs> flip. Oh, do you remember infrared before that? Inf- yeah, oh, yeah, my God. Really you, know, you, you had to make sure you didn't lose connection. Give me my MP3. He's aimed across the playground with this. Take you, take, you, take you a good 10 minutes. What was your first album? Um, I didn't. I sort of inherited a bunch of albums from uh, my dad's collection, I guess. He just used to give me his, his extra bits. But I think the first album I went out and bought was, um, it was like a compilation album by Free. So I was really into Free at the time. They, they, yeah, they were a bunch of youngish lads in the 60s who were playing blues music and we were in a band at the time playing uh, similar sort of stuff. So um, I, I really, really liked Free at the time. Uh, but I, I still buy albums now but I only buy them when I'm like supporting a live artist or something. If I, if I go and watch their stuff and then I'm like, well, you need to eat because you know, they're like a, a, a fucking folk band or whatever that you know, fiddles and stuff. And it, it like, yeah, the gig's not really giving them this their is, bread and butter. This is the whole dilemma about the streaming industry, isn't it? Yeah. Because unfortunately, it's the only way to publicize yourself majorly these days is to go on Spotify, Apple Music, um, Tidal, whatever the other one is. Oh, not, not anymore. <laughs> Have they gone? Yeah, title's not. You're joking. Yeah, there's... They're, they're... Liquidation. Liquidation. I'm not... Yeah. That makes sense. I wonder why. <laughs> I mean, celebs, you can't compete with them. There are those celebs behind it as well. I know, yeah. Like, um, not that they liked each other, but they still the have... Jay-Z, Taylor Swift. It's the classic case of, like, a, a company that's made for the artist, but not for consumers. Yeah. So if they don't make any money. So yeah. It's like, well... You know, you, oh, but you can pay like a massive premium to get like a slightly higher quality that people don't give a shit unless yeah. like super audio files. And frankly, mm. like Spotify's quality is, is more than enough. The fact that they put um, their name on it though, like, you was know, it Lars from yeah. Metallica? Well, because they could make more money from Title. Because mm. Title was the highest paying uh, Lars know, here, CCP, uh, CPP, <laughs> the amount per stream, whatever the you know acronym for that is or initialism. Did you ever um, see the, the Lars argument that he put out against um, Pirate Music? It was about early two thousand. Oh, that was right. That was around Napster, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah, Napster. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I was reading that with the doing man. We don't like what they're doing. Like, they're taking shit out. Of, they're taking stealing from us. Stealing from all of us. <laughs> if it was anyone else apart from Lars, it would have been like a logical argument. But <laughs> <laughs> my, my lecturer had this massive uh, sort of hippie idea that uh, you know, sort of t- taking music for free is fine because uh, it doesn't really affect an artist. And I'm like, well, yeah, not the big ones, but the small ones, it, it, it does affect them because they're having to like sell their CDs at gigs and stuff, sell t-shirts. That's how they make their money. And uh, he was saying, well, they, they just make their money through playing live. It's like, yeah, because they have to. No, no, no. The band's never played live before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're, they're forced to play these live gigs to, to fucking eat. And that they still don't make enough off of it because you're their fucking... Yeah, new costs are going on. And how many times yeah. have you heard the band uh, that will pay you with exposure? Oh, you, I think how much exposure, how much <laughs> yeah. exposure you'll get from this gig. Like, I don't think I was ever paid for playing a festival. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Like, they always say this, this is the, the common ground they always go to. Like for a young uh, upcoming band, like for university, I was in a band and uh, we did a few gigs. We got paid for maybe two out of about 30. And mm. a lot of the people we went to, we obviously the start we started band, you just wanted, you wanted that exposure, you want to get out there. And just for the experience, because obviously if you've never played out live before, you want that. And it was good for a bit, but then after about the gets old. The twentieth gig we got to after we had played a lot, and we're going up to people saying, "Oh, could we do this?" And we're going, "Oh, we can't offer you anything. We can maybe give you a, a few beers." And I'm like, "Oh, yeah." I suppose it's university. We, we, we our small time goals. You know, we weren't going to be massive anytime soon, so we thought all the time it's probably the best thing to do. But this is not. This is the kind of the standard that everyone has. Not in university bands, but 
a lot of small time bands in the UK worldwide have the same problem. None of them can. I think of all the bands we might have missed who, if they had the budget behind them, might have actually done well. We might not have ever seen because they can't support to live or support themselves yeah, because well, they can't make there's a some living. artists that I listen to now that well I think I think a couple of them um have actually finally managed to at least break out into a slightly wider thing but it's like maybe about 15 years or something ridiculous they were literally just like people you know obviously working their normal jobs like working out of a bedroom <laughs> trying to do this like you know um interesting stuff but because it doesn't quite for whatever reason like work at the right sort of place and time um and all that sort of thing with bands the band called Noah that I, I absolutely love um, and it's like Lewis Cole and people behind that, like for, for just years and years, they're just like nah, they were just like complete. You know, it's just a tiny little artist that nobody. They second jobs. You know, yeah, all you know, work other jobs. There's like plenty of bands like that, and not only that, but also as you know, as as people get older, it becomes harder to commit to like long touring, um, especially if you have commitments like a family and things like this. And often they would have to do that because the, you need to tour to sell merchandise, which is like the main way you're going to pay off things, especially if you're um, you know uh, gigging. Uh, Outside of your continent, in which case you're going to, there's going to be expenses associated with that. Um, you know, venue costs are really high now, mm-hmm. um, uh, and yeah, and it's and it's it's difficult to um, unless you're, you know again, it's, it's become a t-shirt business essentially. Yeah, uh, because, unless you reach that pinnacle of being signed. I mean, that's what everyone wants. Because once you get signed, you're pretty much almost there. Because if you can keep distributing to the to the needs of the record label. Mm. then you are pretty much set. But then that's a task in itself. Well, there's, there's a folk band that I really, really like. Um, I always play them at parties and stuff, and, and I've been to see them live a few times. They're signed, but uh, they actually make less money now than they did when they were uh, like busking. Really? Just out on the streets, yeah. 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 So I have a friend who also uh, went into, got signed, and uh, is essentially just ended up in absolute contract because mm-hmm. he's like had stuff that he can't release now that's just like he can't put out or release because it's mm-hmm. that the artist's name that he was working under is now is under a certain contract but then some stuff happened with the company so that he's just he's just ended up like trapped um and that you know that's unfortunately a very common story so the whole cliche about signing live way to the devil isn't it and like once you yeah. sign that contract everything you want to produce it may not be never as good what would you think might be good enough to produce and put out there might not be what the contractor wants and it could be just be binned, and they will come back to you and say, "You do this instead," and then we'll produce it. And then the con- and then um, you can also just get dropped if your album does bad. And if it's not, yeah, yeah, exactly. But you're manipulating that kind of way. I think Professor Green's a good example. Ollie used him. Um, he was a artist who, at the time, was making loads of publicity because he was making the music he wanted to make. And then he went to this um, record label and he started making all the songs that we know as Professor Green. Like um, I can't think of any now at the moment. Uh, he's, there's a song you might be able to recognize of his. And then he hated it and just stopped making his own record label about five years later and started making music he wants again and is ironically more popular than he was when he was with the other record label. Yeah, but it's, it's that initial, you know, it's that initial temptation, isn't it? I mean, often there'll mm. also be, you know, offered paid up to you. Yeah, I paid up front, but I, I can't remember. Um, yeah, and <laughs> it's going to bug you all day now, isn't it? <laughs> it, it will, it will. Uh, um, and essentially, the, uh, you know, that temptation also the temptation that you will, you'll be able to get a music career going is extremely high, obviously, but then so many of these artists, particularly now, um, massively regret um, signing a lot of these contracts, particularly when it's a very sharky kind of con- contract that may... You're just talking about your own past experiences, aren't you? Um, no, I only... Well, my experience was quite different. That was to do with, like, very, let's say, devious contract stuff that mm. went on. What were you signed for? Um, basically signed to a small indie label as an artist. And, as, I mean, yeah, I don't really want to go into it too much, but it, it was essentially... Mm. 
there was some shady stuff going on with contracts and they were redrafting stuff, let's say, and things were changing and it was like, oh no, I'm out. And I just pulled out the last minute and it was, but it was just like very, very stressful because it was like one of these things which is like a long build up, and, you know, you meet loads of people and everything seems great. Um, and everyone's like got something they, you know, work at. And then it's just like, at some point, this devious stuff starts to kick in and it just, it's just awful. Cause it's just, you, it's, there's this feeling of betrayal and all that sort of thing where it's like, mm. you know, and, and you can definitely get like roped in like that. Where everything seems great and everyone's your friend, and you know, and that's what you said. It's, easy said. it's really easy said, wasn't it? When you're first starting off, and it does seem like it's the best thing to do at the time because if you have got nothing else going for you, you're not making any income, and someone does come up to you and go, Hey, we can offer you this, we can get you these gigs, and we can offer you this amount possibly if you do this much sales. Mm-hmm. You go, Oh, this is what I wanted all along. And then, like you said, you know, there's so many horror stories you have from record labels and the people they sign, and it's coming mm-hmm. out absolutely shite. Mm-hmm. It's obsessing, it does put a bummer on your whole kind of career. As a musician, because you come out of it thinking, did I do something wrong, or is, it like, is there something I could improve? And you just feel down by yourself. Yeah, and nowadays it's it's slightly different because obviously publishing is very very easy now, and self publishing is is also very common. Um, but on the flip side, it's the oversaturation is is at an extreme level. You know that Pareto curve of 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 you know the sort of logarithmic is an exponential kind of curve, but it's basically to do with like the, the square root of the total number of people will have something like 80% of the amount of, um, you know, listens, exposure, that sort of thing, or money uh, in m- most cases. So if you take like 100 artists of, of in like the top 100 or whatever, um, like 10 of those artists will be making 80% of the total amount of money. And it just goes down and down and down until you're like, you know, into this like this vast ocean of, of people putting stuff out. And it's extremely hard to like, you know, uh, go above that sort of noise threshold and actually, you know, find something some niche or something or a way to sort of break in, um, especially at the moment because of COVID and all this happened. That's, you know, a large part of how smaller artists tend to find their audience is through live music and going out and meeting people and that sort of thing. And that's all sort of been, you know, out, out of the can. And, you know, I know that I was getting some momentum that I was playing guitar for their artist and like there was some momentum getting built up and then there was festivals that was going to be in the summer and it's like, oh, no, all gone. Yeah, and all it. that momentum is just gone now. And it's mm. just like, and now I don't even play guitar for her anymore unfortunately because like somebody else needed to be closer to play guitar for that artist so it's like because it made more logistical sense because it was because COVID and everything and so it's like so many people have just unfortunately had like you know a real raw raw deal um, which yeah which has obviously been reflected in the music industry I think oh Uh, yeah definitely about 80% of the time if you go into music and you want to be successful 80% is a lot of downs compared to the ups which is quite upsetting because this this is another reason why people don't get into it too much because same way as teaching yourself how to learn an instrument. Mm. You'll spend so much time thinking about it, you, you get into it, you go, oh, I'm not going to do it because it's too hard. Yeah. Same way with music. You may put your life and soul into it and not get recognised if you wanted to do that, for example. I like, say, because obviously, yeah. like, some people do it for the joy. Right, like, yeah. like, for me, I do yeah. it for the joy. I, I don't like, want to get recognised. for a bigger risk. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's art in general, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. If you, I mean, I would love to be able to live off well. like, do music yeah, in yeah. some kind of aspect. That was kind of my dream. I realised now where I am at the moment, I don't think it's, I for me to do it, it's gonna it's gonna put me into out of my comfort zone. I don't really want to push myself out of my comfort zone necessarily. It just doesn't feel right. I don't think I'll ever come within of it. If I'm ever gonna do it, I just want to keep it. Yeah, I, I think you've done the same as as I have. I mean I I learned a few instruments in high school and, and I you know I I owe a lot to music for, for sort of getting me through that time and sort of teaching me about who I was and stuff. But now it's very much on the back burner. Yeah, you know, I, I don't begrudge that. It's just it it does take a lot of time and 
effort that I would I have to really spend on other things. And you know, that's that's a it's a trade-off. Mm. I, I I think if you're gonna take music to to like to full time, I, I think it's just too much of a commitment unless yeah. you're gonna be happy with that that massive like economic risk, I guess. Because it's not just music then. You think if you have to try and build yourself into an established artist, it's not just music you're doing or creating. It's your marketing. Right. It's your, your image. You have to think about everything, all these other aspects, which a lot of people don't know. And a lot of musicians especially don't know. Uh, they may be very, very, very talented musicians, but they won't, to give them like a, a business plan or anything, they, they wouldn't have to come up with one because they didn't know where to start. Well, it's, it's a little bit like being an athlete. Uh, like, it's more to being an athlete than just being good at running. You've got to manage like so much other stuff. There's like this exactly. personal discipline and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like all the, the fucking PR and, 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 you know, knowing the right people and, and training and, and like getting into routines and stuff. Yeah. It, it, like you can be as amazing at music as, as you like, but you still need to like be able to, to gig and to like navigate the industry. And I, I think that that can be very daunting. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm probably enjoying music a little bit more now, now that I got past yeah. really wanting to do, you know, all the mixing and engineering and stuff, whatever, um, and sort of struggling through that. And now it's like, now I've got my other, you know, the other thing, and I'm just focusing on the programming. It's like, now I actually really enjoy it much you more when, want I just, yeah, when I just go over the computer and start making stuff, because it's, it's, there's no, like, reason or purpose for it necessarily. You're just making stuff for the fun of it, and, you know... And that's the best thing about music, like, like you said, because you, you did try, and I think we, I tried as well, and I think you tried as well, to try and get into that stage yeah. of, we're going like, to try and get an image and try and get, right. try and make yeah. a learning of it. And I think once you've had that, had the down, uh, kind of come to terms with it, I feel a lot more comfortable now, not thinking like, I need to start making music. I just feel comfortable with what I'm doing. I mean, I'm still playing pretty much every day, and I'm still loving it, and it still makes me feel great. Yeah. And it, like you said, it's probably better knowing that I'm not trying to get to that stage of, yeah, I've made it. But you don't have anything to prove anymore. You're just doing it for yourself. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I go play in front of someone and they don't like it. I'm not going to be upset because uh, I know I'm doing it and I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah, like it's one of those things. Like, if, yeah, I feel much more free to just do like totally yeah. random stuff as well. Mm. Like, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll be release, noise, like, be songs as much as you want. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I'll just like release something <laughs> that like electronic song and then like a funk funk song and then just like you know I can just do whatever and I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not really thinking about it anymore, which is nice. Ironically, this is one of the things that you might be picked up on. You might be making this stuff so freely, and one day someone might go, that sounds really good. Do you want to? Yeah, well, who knows? Maybe. Uh, yeah. It's, like, it's, it's an ocean, that's the issue. And it's like, you know, and it, it is really hard to like, I think I think one of the biggest things I've seen, at least when it tied to the success of artists, which is something I don't think I've been able to do, is is consistency. And I think... Uh, a lot of these artists that graft really hard and manage to eventually break out, they are. I think the one large thing that they do really well is they're consistent in in putting out music, in maintaining a uh, relationship with their audience, in maintaining a thing. I think for me, I was in an unhealthy cycle of that sort of like really working super hard on like an album or something and trying to do the best thing I've done so far, and then you. And then I sort of get to the round the research and I just burn out massively. But you talked about established artists already that you see yeah. as an example. Yeah, I see as an example. Yeah, I think a lot of those see. will have the pressure of the publicity and the PR and the record behind them asking them for a certain amount of stuff at a certain time grade. Right. But in, I'm in a certain more extent. independent artists, I'm mean, even including this. Like I, I know people who've, um, well, at least I've, I've gigged with people uh, at some like open mics and smaller places that have since. Um, gone on uh, to be like a lot actually like really built start get some momentum and build up an audience and it's like it was always the same sort of you know I think one of the key factors was that they 
were always just like constantly throwing everything at it and they weren't like burning out. Mm. Um, and I think that was one of those big issues is like if you, if you burn out really badly um, and you'll just don't do anything for like three, four months, it's like that in that time, people That's are just going to forget you exist again. Mm. Um, and that I'm just ended up in that cycle of like, oh, he, he just doesn't exist for six months. And then I'll just like come back and post something and then disappear for another six. And it's just like doing that. It's, it's not only a healthy and unhealthy cycle for yourself because you're not enjoying music. But it's also just not going to work if you want to actually grow um, mm. in the industry and all that sort of thing. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think per, I think I think personality probably unfortunately has something to do with it as well. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I drive. That's that's why none of us have made it. Far <laughs> <laughs> away. <laughs> uh, speaking of it being a t-shirt industry, didn't you used to sell t-shirts oh, for a band, Jack? <laughs> yeah, I used to sell t-shirts for White Rhino. Who are White what? Rhino? <laughs> Nobody fucking knows. You know why? It's your fault for not selling enough t-shirts. Oh uh, yeah, I've got one somewhere. I'll try. I'll send them to yourself. I'll dig it out and I'll I'll send you a picture of one. Sorry, tell you why, why yeah, no listeners. They, we did a we did they did a gig. Well, I said we. They did a gig, and I was like, there. The person they didn't want as a groupie, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, and then I I sort of like turned up. They, we did a we did a a gig at uh, Mars Bar in in Worcester. And they were really good, but um, you said they were shit. Uh, some some songs, they, the covers were great. <laughs> the covers were great. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they weren't one of those bands. It was like it was like uh, all right now now here's Wonderwall. Uh, they weren't like that. <laughs> they were like they genuinely would do like uh, some good covers of like Slaves and stuff if you're into yeah. that sort of stuff. Um, How did you get into that? You ever told that story before? Some guy that I went to uni with. You you've seen him? Okay. But anyway, just become guess who now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Ah, Lewis. Does he have a Does moustache? he wear glasses? Of course, him. But anyway, I, yeah, I, I ended up doing it for him. Oh, he, oh. you know what I'm talking yeah. about. You have seen him. Of course. I like the list of this. <laughs> but you never know. You know no, it's just not. It's game. You know that? Solved game. Chris, you get an email tomorrow. What? Guess who? It's a solved game. What does that mean? It means that. If you it you can calculate the perfect play from the first move. Can you? If you said his name, to be fair, so <laughs> no, isn't that amazing? <laughs> that is, yeah. By the power of editing, I did not. <laughs> yeah, no. Wow. <laughs> Blackmail. We never. Well, one thing we learned, Connor, is you're not going to get anywhere if you're using cheese for string on your mandolin. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right, mate. Right, I think we'll leave it there. Cool. Cheers, everybody. How do we end this? I, I think we just sort of wait and just yeah. like look at, look at each other awkwardly. It sort of fades, fades out. out. It fades out of a nice guitar. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, oh. it's me and I playing a little bit of music. That's a lovely flute. Been a pleasure being here. Thank you very much. Hey, last words. Say your piece, or stay silent. State your business. Let's say something, man. Fuck. Just ruin. Can I get a suspense bit? before we cut? Well, there we go. Can I get a bit before you start? Yeah, go for it. Are you gonna <laughs> no, cut? I know you're gonna cut this. No, you fucking can't. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's have a little break. <laughs> oh, that was good. I enjoyed that. This is going after the outro music, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it peaked at G strings, and it's just gone downhill. It's like a fucking Tamagotchi. <laughs> Remember them? Or for music?
Those, those things that you have to like do that. Yeah, yeah. So it was music. You, you'd be you'd be really upset that your your virtual pet that means nothing would die. <laughs> it meant a lot to me back then. <laughs>